Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, y'all. No, I can't do that because it's ripping off Sam Sanders. Love you, Sam. Okay. Hey, yo. No, that's weird, too. Oh, hey, Greta Johnson here. I host Nerdette. (laughs) Hey, this is Greta. I'm the host of Nerdette. And as many of you know, I have this other job here at WBEZ where I anchor Saturday mornings. And sometimes I get to do super cool interviews that we put on the radio. And this week, we had such a fun interview that was bookish. And so we were like, you know, we should just like toss this in the Nerdette feed because the book fiends need to know. So I'm going to bring you my interview with Claire Lombardo. She just wrote this fabulous book. It's called The Most Fun We Ever Had. It is a great summer read. Chicago Magazine actually called it the Midwestern Big Little Lies, though I should say it's not super murdery. It takes place in Oak Park, which is this super elegant old suburb that sits right next to one of Chicago's least resourced neighborhoods. And the book is about a couple and their four grown daughters. Each of them is magically messed up in their own special way. The first one is like a super unpredictable alcoholic. The second one is a control freak who is like refusing to meet the son that she gave up for adoption 15 years ago. The third one is pregnant with a kid she's not sure she wants to keep. And the baby daddy is this like super depressed boyfriend. And the last one is a thousand miles away in Oregon and she's caught up in a massive lie. So that is the cast of characters we're working with. It's a great book. It's all about love and forgiveness and family and just like the importance of showing up. So with that said, let's talk with the author, Claire Lombardo. She joins me now. Hey, Claire. Hi, thanks for having me. So this is your first book and you're telling the story story of this Midwestern family through seven points of view across two timelines and over the course of like four decades. It's more than 500 pages long. I feel like this is a super ambitious first novel. Is this always what you knew you would write when you thought about writing a book? No, I I guess I never thought I would write a book. Um, Uh So this evolved in a lot of ways that surprised me. But I think I always knew when I started the project itself, that it would have to take up a lot of space. Is that Um, what you called it, the project? um, Yes, probably. (laughs) I think I was reluctant to call it a novel until I like actually held it in my hands as a novel. So I want to talk about the setting of this book, which is largely in Oak Park, right Mm -hmm. next to Chicago. And you grew up there, which I guess would be a pretty good reason to set it there. But why else did you think this would be a compelling place? I mean, there's such a strong sense of place in this book. I mean, I think my sort of jokey answer is that I'm a lazy researcher and I didn't want to get to know another space. Um, But I also thought it would be an interesting sort of place to explore privilege. This is a very, you know, it's an upper middle class white family. And I think if I had had a thousand more pages in this book, I would want to sort of delve more deeply culturally. But I kept it pretty close in this family. And I think Oak Park was sort of a it made sense to have that be the backdrop of where their story unfolds. So when you say if you had had more time to research and more pages to write, you think you might have 
dived more deeply into you know, the fact that Oak Park is kind of a complicated place, right? Like it's yeah. a pretty affluent suburb. It's right next to some of the roughest parts of right. Chicago. Yeah. I mean, I think there, I definitely have hundreds and hundreds of pages of this book that I've gotten rid of. And I think there was a time when I was kind of exploring more the haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that, yeah, you cross Austin Boulevard and you're in a very different part of the world and a world that very seldomly bumps up against Oak Park, um, which is problematic, I think. Uh-huh. Um so I was interested in that, but because I had seven narrators and a lot of family <laughs> drama to, to cover, I think I, I needed to keep my focus there because I, I think I could easily have fallen down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. of political research. Well, yeah. and I think you do have a character in Jonah who was given up for adoption right after he was born. And mm-hmm. when he's 15, he shows back up at this family with his birth family. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he was a foster kid at one point because his adoptive parents died. I think in that character, you do have a sense a little bit, at least of sort of like the have not side of things. Right. Cause he just yeah. shows up and he's so confused by this big, beautiful house and all of these people. And, and how none of them have to worry about paying Anything, for college yes. or any of that yeah. stuff, you know? No, I think he definitely, he serves as sort of a man who came to town. Like he's kind of the guy who comes <laughs> yeah, from the yeah, outside. Yeah, the stranger who shows up yeah. and is wondering what the hell is going right, on. Right, right. And he, he's someone too that I think, I think he throws their privilege into relief. There's a scene, you know, when he's walking into his grandparents' house for the first time and his grandmother says sort of, you know, look at all, I don't remember what the line is in my own book, but <laughs> she makes a joke about how big their house is. And then she has a moment where she's like, wait, this is, you know, yeah. she's looking at her life kind of through the eyes of, of another character. And he very much, I think, functions in, in that role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's so interesting about this book is, you know, a lot of these characters, partly because of so much of their privilege, aren't necessarily super relatable. Mm-hmm. But I like to think of this book as like a window where you get to kind of peek into these other people's lives mm-hmm. and it's salacious and there's secrets and you're like, what is happening? Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, Jonah, this character who does kind of show up and is introduced to it, is such a fun point of view to kind of create some of that curiosity, you know? Yeah. I had someone say to me like about a very early draft of this book, when Jonah was a much quieter presence mm. and didn't have a narrative voice, someone said, you know, I feel very claustrophobic, like being pressed against these crazy people for, you know, I think we need something. I think we need to sort of step out a little bit. Um, And so he definitely does function as, you know, he is other to them and is able to sort of comment on them in in those ways. Yeah, he's like the control in the science experiment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So do you think these characters are likable? I love all of them. I wouldn't say I like all of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I've been surprised when people have said to me, like, I hate Violet or I hate it, you know, this or this. Because I don't – I see all of these people as behaving badly because they're in pain. You know, I sure. see it. And I think that's something relatable, too. And Absolutely. Um, the way that we react to trauma or tragedy or hardship is, you know, manifest in different ways in all of us. But um, – Someone like Violet is not terribly likable. Um, and I think that's part of the reason, too, that I the idea of going back in time appealed to me so much because you can kind of look at, okay, we see her when she's three. We can't hate her then. Like, what right. happened then? That, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think it's an exquisitely constructed book for that very reason because, you know, you you see them in more or less present day and they're all screwed up in their own different ways. And it's one thing to see that just as they are, but then it's so different to be able to go back and understand better by the end of why each of them is the weird special way that they right, are. Right, right. 
So you yourself have three sisters, right? I do. I also have a brother. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids. Wow. Um, Yeah. So this is not, you know, not an autobiographical novel, but I think as someone who grew up in a big family and grew up as sort of the observer in a big family, I was a very quiet, anxious kid, but I was always watching and, you know, I'm, I'm very much that to a degree, even as an adult. And I think a lot of the things we think are so unique about our families aren't actually. (laughs) So Uh I think writing a family story, people relate to this book in in ways that I wasn't expecting in terms of dynamics with their siblings or, you know, it's never who you think is going to come out of the woodwork and say, I understood this. But it's been really fun to sort of see we're all really screwed up (laughs) have have weird origin stories. What a delightful realization. Yeah, I know. I think another thing that really made this book stand out to me is how much it's about different ways of being a mother and being a wife, mm-hmm. which you also are neither of those things, right? I'm not, no. I am so impressed that you managed to like create such nuanced characters exploring such different versions of what that could be without having those experiences in your own life yet. Yeah, I think I, like I said, there's a lot of material that I that didn't make it into the book. Um, and one of the ways I get to know my characters is just putting them in rooms together and writing pages and pages and pages of dialogue and kind of seeing what arises. Um, and I did a lot of that with with Marilyn. There was a lot of... The mother. Yes, sorry, the mother. Um, her origin story and then her and David's or her husband David's origin story um, that didn't make it into the book but helped me to better understand who they were, what they wanted from the world, how motherhood would affect Marilyn, how she would, you know react to it. And I think it was really just a matter of kind of immersing myself in these people that I had created and trying to really understand what it was like to to be them. So one really interesting aspect of the story is that Marilyn and David are like super adoringly in love with each other. Like they're, they love each other so much. They do. And the daughters are scarred by that in a way that really surprised me because you'd think almost that that would be kind of the perfect like upbringing yeah I think my editor referred to it as uh David and Marilyn the parents are the benevolent shadow under which the daughters are sort of existing Uh um I liked the idea of looking at something unconventional, like it's not the parents who are constantly fighting but refusing to get divorced, or the parents who got divorced early, or the parents who are cheating on each other. And that's kind of my approach to fiction. I'm conflict avoidant, but I'm also, and I'm, I'm plot avoidant to a degree, but I liked the <laughs> sort of the the challenge of having a really good thing at the core that is the sort of catalyst for that stuff. You mentioned earlier that you love these characters, but you don't necessarily like them, Mm -hmm. which I think is it's something that I've heard people say in reference to their own siblings, too. Right. Or to family in general. Right. It's like, I know I love them, but I don't necessarily like them all the time. And I think that's another thing that this book captures really beautifully. I mean, these sisters can be really terrible to each other. Yeah. And and they all still more or less forgive each other. And often the people who are our family are not who we would have chosen if given if given that option. Um, but you can be uniquely cruel to your family in most families and know that you won't irrevocably, you know, ruin everything. You know that you can be really mean to your sister. You can get away with acting like a 13-year-old right. even if you're 33 <laughs> yes, or whatever. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I've read a couple different reviews that describe the Sorensons, the family at the center of this book, as a happy family. Do you think they're a happy family? Um. I would say David and Marilyn are genuinely happy to 
be together. Um, <laughs> and I think I think these sisters do have complicated love for each other. Um, I wanted to keep sort of a core there that I knew wasn't going to explode mm-hmm. um, and, you know, not to spoil the ending, but like no one murders anyone else. Like nothing terrible happens. Right. But, yes. Which yeah. is worth pointing out because a lot of people have kind of compared this to like the Midwestern Big Little Lies, yes. which in some ways it is. But in other ways, there is no murder. Right. It's not a plot driven. There's there's lots of little plots, I would say, and lots of little lies and secrets and people misbehaving that propels the story along. But we're not waiting to find out, you know, who did it. That's funny that you don't call it plot driven, though, because I thought it had a really good momentum throughout the whole thing. Like there were always there was always something I wanted to know about what was going to happen next, which is very helpful in a 500 plus page. Right. 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 (laughs) And I think it's yeah, I think I, I see it as my my students, my high school students will say, we're leaving breadcrumbs in the story, yeah. which I think is a really lovely way to, to put it. Um, it's not, you know, we see the gun and we're waiting to see it go off, but it's we see someone, you know, says something that we know isn't quite true and we're waiting to see how it comes back. So I think instead of having a conventional narrative arc, I did a lot of little tiny ones that mm-hmm. hopefully will keep momentum for for readers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think it's breadcrumbs. I think it's like pieces of German chocolate cake or something okay. delicious. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so what's next for you now? Um, I'm working on a second book, which is also sort of a quiet relationship story, but I would say it is more plotted um, and limiting myself to one point of view, which feels like vacation. <laughs> like it's been, it's 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 tough to... Um, <laughs> it's a restriction of, you're embracing. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm very happy about it. It's, I think, going to be shorter and, and more straightforward. So, I mean, I, that could all change tomorrow, but <laughs> as <laughs> yes. of right now. Well, we'll see. I'm looking forward to reading it either way. Thank you. Claire Lombardo, author of The Most Fun We Ever Had. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, wasn't that fun? And you got like a little weird sneak peek into the other half of my job, which, you know, as long as I'm tricking everyone into letting me read books and talk to authors all the time, I'm calling it a win. This episode was produced by Alyssa Eads with help from Kate Cahan. Justin's putting it together because Justin Bull is just like a consummate professional. All right, we'll be back with a new episode soon. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.